Hello. This episode is part two of my conversation with David Keane from Solve My Claim. In it, we're going to be talking more specifically about insurance claims, what might happen if you don't want to rebuild what you've lost, or how your insurance claim might go if you've only suffered partial damage to your property. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of my conversation with David, pause this podcast, head back to that now, and we'll be here when you get back. Otherwise, let's dive into part two. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Welcome to season 12 of the Get It Right podcast called Rebuild and Build Better. This season includes a range of conversations with some fantastic experts and professionals, and we're diving into a range of topics related to rebuilding after bushfires, building or renovating in bushfire-prone areas, and more generally, designing and building more resilient homes. This season of the podcast has been inspired by one of our Undercover Architect course members who has over 20 years experience in disaster recovery and saw the need, given our recent summer bushfires in Australia, for a resource to help people rebuilding their homes after bushfire. He's been a great help to me in connecting me with information and people I can now share with you. You can see video versions of all of our interviews, as well as get a copy of the full transcripts, plus loads more helpful resources for your journey on the Undercover Architect website. Head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild for all the info you need to rebuild and build better. Now let's get on with the episode. Solve My Claim provides expert support and assistance to anyone struggling with their insurance claims. And their main office is in Alice Springs, but they assist with claims across the whole country of Australia. Now, Solve My Claim's director, David Keane, has been involved in the insurance industry for more than 24 years. And they have expertise in property, motor vehicle, business and other commercial claims and can assist in a wide range of circumstances. They're actually unique in the industry in that they are genuinely independent. They have no affiliations with any insurance company or brokerage. They do not receive any commissions from any source. Uh, they, yeah, it's quite extraordinary actually. And in essence, they're they're actually their client's very own claims department. They only work for you, the client. And that to have someone like that in your corner when you're going through a claims process is just extraordinary. Now, Solve My Claim has helped many hundreds of Australian families resolve disputed claims from Cyclone Marsha from in Rockhampton in 2015, Cyclone Debbie in the Whit Sundays in 2017, the Sydney Hailstorm from December 2018, the Townsville floods from February 2019 and of course they're helping people with the Australian bushfires from our recent summer. And there's also a large number of regular and non-catastrophe claims and they've achieved more than $35 million worth of increased claim settlements in the past three years alone. Now in part two of our conversation I actually asked David about some specific insurance claim scenarios and what he suggests to best navigate them so that you can protect yourself and set yourself up for a successful process. So let's hear more. You mentioned the the fact, you know, we touched on the fact that a lot of the homes that were destroyed in the fires would have been pre the bushfire attack level um, legislation. A lot of them are going to be rebuilding, perhaps underinsured. You mentioned the additional benefits. Is there any other scope or things in policies that people should be aware of that 
um, that require an insurance company to rebuild to current standards versus replacing what they had that was non-compliant? Yes, certainly. So, the uh, well, the, the, first of all, you're not allowed to replace what's non-compliant. And, and what insurance company assessors will sometimes do is they'll sometimes say to you, and let's take a simple example like an awning. So an awning now, if you've got a corrugated roof, it's got to have at least a five-degree pitch, otherwise it's non-compliant. Now, that's a fairly straightforward rule. It's been in place for some years, but not forever. And so many people have a 30 or 40-year-old awning. Uh, the insurance company says, well, it's, it's under-pitched. We can't guarantee the works, so we're just going to cash settle you what it would cost us to replace the roof sheets if it was compliant. Uh, unfortunately, the policy doesn't allow them to do that. They'll try and get away with giving you two grand cash and see you later. You've now got to fit, replace the awning or repitch the roof. Um, if the additional benefits of the policy don't say that it covers uh, for current standards or current uh, statutory requirements, the, the, the wording varies slightly, but what it means is to make it compliant with today's standards. Uh, and there are local, state and national standards for various areas, as, as you would know. So there, there's a lot of complexity even to that statement. Um, but the policies generally, if they don't find that in the uh, additional benefits section of the policy, every policy also has a section that's entitled something to the effect of how we settle your claim. And they'll go through a few pages and, and sometimes they have examples on, on how they settle the claim in different situations. Uh, that will generally have some sort of statement in there. It talks about, you know, we'll settle up to the sum insured. Uh, we'll re, in the case of a total loss, we'll rebuild to, to um, current standards or, or uh, you know, to whatever statutory requirements are, uh, are uh, required in this case. Uh, but the, the wording will have some, some sort of implication at least that, uh, they will upgrade to the current compliance. Now, they don't specify what that current compliance is. Uh, and so, therefore, um, and this is, sorry, another important point on, as we're talking, <laughs> important points keep coming to me. Um, one important point to understand under the Insurance Contracts Act, which is the legal framework through which the insurance industry operates, is if there's ambiguity in a contract, so if something's ambiguous, it's not straightforward, it must be deemed in favour of the person who did not write the contract. So what that means in essence is the insurance company wrote the contract. If something's ambiguous, it will always be deemed in the favour of the client That's because the insurance one. company had the opportunity. <laughs> it is, and I use that quite a lot. Uh, because there's a lot of contracts that are ambiguous. And so sometimes, for example, if there are some policies that don't specifically list that thing about compliance and upgrades, you might find that when it talks about, there's a section that they'll, they'll want you to make sure you have a correct sum insured. And they might say something like, make sure you have a sum insured that includes things like current standards and upgrades and whatnot. In my view, that's ambiguous because you're, as an insurance company, instructing someone to include that in the sum insured. And the implication is you will therefore include that in the settlement uh, and we've even run cases like that and won them so um, yeah it's the, the reason that you should know your policy is not just so you know all the pitfalls but you talked before about taking power back uh, what one thing I think that we hear more than anything else when we get involved in in uh, various insurance disputes is people feel as though they've got the power back and so if you want to have the power to take that fight back to the insurance company if you believe that they are wrong then there's no better way to do that than to actually start to understand your policy. Uh, see, I'm, I'm not a builder. I'm not an engineer. I'm not an architect. I have no building qualifications. I have 25 years in the insurance industry. Uh, what I know intimately well is insurance policies, wordings, um, claims process, and disputes process. And so I understand how the insurance system works. Now, I won't take a builder on over the scope because I'm not a builder. 
but I'll get a builder that will actually give me an independent view and then I can argue the case. And and I think it's it's all about gaining some expertise. Uh, I mean, this, this is your biggest asset. This is your home. It's probably going to cost you half of your working life to pay for this thing. Why wouldn't you invest some time in actually getting to know the, the policy that's covering that asset? I, I just, I'll, I'll never understand that. Yeah. And I think because you've seen all of the um, situations that can go so terribly wrong, um, it's that reading things with the worst case scenario in mind and, uh, and yeah, knowing that it manages your risk. So now, um, this is brilliant, David. It's just going to be so helpful for people. I, I want to know if, say you don't want to rebuild um, exactly what just got destroyed. Say, you know, like my husband and I, we looked around and we went, if this went, you know, up in smoke, we know we, we would build differently. We'd probably build in a different location on the property, you know, a more energy efficient home, something that suits the lifestyle. You know, some of these people might have been living in these homes for 30 or 40 years. And so it's very different, the lifestyle that they live now compared to what they potentially bought the house for. What's the likely process then? How do you navigate that with your insurer? Sure. It's a really good question, actually. And this is questions like this uh, are one of the reasons that wherever possible, you should try and work uh, collaboratively with your insurance company. Because most policies, the wording will say that the insurance company at their option can repair, replace or cash settle. So if they insist on repairing through their builder, in many cases, they have the right to do that. If they insist on only cash settling, they have the right to do that. In in practicality, though, in reality, most insurance companies will actually work with you on that. They'll look at what is your preference? Can we facilitate this? How can we work it? But it is a process of negotiation. And so even when we take claims on, it's not always combative. We always try and do it collaboratively, sit down with the insurer, say, look, here's what the policy says. You and I both know that. Let's just resolve this the nice way. Um, if, if they want to play games or if they want to just maintain the line, then we're quite happy to take them on too. But it's never our first step. Because if we can work together and have a win-win for all parties, that, that's the best outcome. Um, so, uh, sorry, it's a long roundabout answer to your question. But in, in light of the of the issue of if you don't want to rebuild the same, you don't have to rebuild exactly the same. But what you're generally covered for in most cases is what they call like for like. Now, like for like means exactly what you had before. The, the moment before the fire hit, you're entitled to be put back into that same position at the end of the claim. So if you had a metal roof, you're entitled to a metal roof. If you had a brick house, you're entitled to a brick house, exactly the way it was, uh, within your sum insured limits, of course, the limits of your policy. And so the insurance company technically, under the terms of the policy, could say, no, we're going to rebuild it exactly as it was with the same things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's a very difficult standard to apply. Um, if you had an architect design home that you could argue that therefore you should be entitled to an architect design home rather than a project home, you may have had a low sum insured and you may find that you're happy with a project home that can be built for half the price. So there's all, all those sorts of scenarios and good insurance claims people realise that and they'll try and work with you. They won't expect you to have exactly the same as what you had. Um, this is where I think one of the early uh, conversations you should have within your family or within whoever's involved in this process is what what does um, the end of this claim look like to you? So what sort of house are you looking for? What sort of changes, if any? Uh, what, what What is the best outcome for you? Now, the insurance company will obviously have what's in their best interests as well. Uh, and, and that's where you start the conversation. If you If they know what you're looking for, 
so you're looking for a brand new home. Um, in in many cases, that brand new home that's that's better designed and and uh, built to a whole lot of different standards and and energy efficient, all all those things that are uh, a lot more important today than they were 20 years ago, um, is actually going to minimise the future risk for the insurance company too. Uh, some people think that. If they end up maybe having a different view to the insurance company, the insurance company will uh, end up not wanting to insure them moving forward. That's not actually the case because the only way your insurance company can make that three or $400,000 back out of you is to keep taking your premiums for the next 20 years. And so unless there's a reason not to, they want to continue insuring you. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's in their interest, but by all means, you know, if, if you know that, then you know that they're not just trying to get rid of you because you've had a big claim. Um, so I think that be proactive, be um, understand what it is you want and be willing to communicate that to the insurance company. If they're suggesting a particular rebuild process and you don't really want that, talk it through with them. Um, and, and again, don't, don't be combative from the start. Just talk it through and say, well, actually, look, this is what we're really looking to do. Um, you, you will find in many cases you can work out a, a win-win scenario with your company. Um, and if you don't, if, if they're either not being reasonable or not being realistic or not giving you everything you're entitled to, that's where you can engage an, an expert or an advocate or someone to stand with you to actually fight that decision. Um, but most of the time you'll find that that the people will be fairly reasonable uh, and try to uh, try try to comply with your requests as far as they can. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think too your point about taking a moment to kind of as a family picture, like talk about what does the end of this claim look like. Um, you know, I'm seeing that come through the research more and more that and in my conversations with uh, Rob Gordon, the psychologist with the Red Cross, about just the importance of people taking some time out. He actually spoke about some farmers at in the 2009 fires actually as a family going away on a, a couple of weeks holiday and then coming back and going, okay, as a family, yeah, absolutely. how differently do we, like we've, this has happened, it's horrible, but what do, what do we do differently from here on so that it, we don't just, you know, rebuild what we had, but we actually perhaps think about how we can do this differently. And I think, absolutely. I think having people, giving people the opportunity and the time to be able to do that. Yeah. Is there ever any time pressure being put on you by the insurance company to go, okay, you, you've got X amount of time to figure this out, otherwise we're just going to get send you a check? Oh, look, in, in a case like the bushfires, I would hope not uh, because it is such a big thing. Um, the, the bushfires are probably different to many other events because most of these properties are going to be total losses. And a total loss is dealt with very differently than, say, a storm claim like you spoke about with your home. Uh, where, where There's some pressure points in the claim. One is about most policies will cover you or many policies will cover you for alternative accommodation and many of those will be limited to 12 months or 10% of the sum insured. Uh, and so bear in mind too, some people are thinking 10% of my sum insured, that's 60 grand, oh, that's enough for three years. But it's 12 months or 10%, whichever one comes first. Uh, now, having said that, and I'm not a defender of insurance companies, but I do give credit where it's due. Um, in many major events, many companies will not impose that 12-month limit. Uh, as long as the claim's progressing forward, they'll continue for for a number of months additionally until the the claim is finalised. And and you've got to give them credit for that because they under the policy they don't necessarily have to do that. Some don't. I, I fight somewhere. Uh, even where uh, the, the insurance company has, has uh, chosen the accommodation and, and the, the costing of the accommodation and the 10% has been eaten up much sooner than 12 months and then they want to throw the, the insured out. So you, you get a different – but that, that's one of the big pressure points is everyone wants this done quickly. Um, the insurance company to minimise the accommodation cost, 
uh, the family or the consumer because they want to get back to life. And, and I should make a point really clearly for anyone that's gone through the bushfires in particular, I think you need to mentally prepare yourself for a 12 to 24 month process here. You will not be back in your home in six months. Uh, if you are, you'll be one of the maybe 0.1% of people who who uh, had a dream run of claim. Uh, in most cases, you're going to be 12 to 24 months before life can potentially return back to normal. And for many of you, life will never return to normal because you may be in cases where your town has now got such restrictive bushfire codes that you can't rebuild in the same place. Um, I think give yourself... First of all, understand and, and recognise that this will be a, a year or two process, even if things don't go wrong. Um, because what I've found in past events, particularly after Cyclone Debbie, Townsville floods would now hit 13 or 14 months, people get to, to 12 months later and they, they really start emotionally feeling the stress of the fact that this is still not right. Um, Cyclone Debbie happened three years ago this month. Uh, I would still have 40 or 50 open claims from Cyclone Debbie three years later. Uh, and so I think people just need to realise that that uh, when there are major issues and when you go through disputes process like AFCA, uh, they will often take many months to resolve. It won't be a matter of weeks. Uh, and, and that is, I think, one of the, the biggest emotional stress points for families, uh, particularly for children. You know, you've got five or ten-year-old children that re who really don't understand why we just can't go back home, Mum. Uh, and, I mean, in the bushfires, it's probably a bit easier because they've seen that their house isn't there anymore. Uh, but after a cyclone and when the house is full of mould because the insurance company's been fighting you for 12 months rather than doing the proper scope, it, it can be very challenging for families when they realise that there's probably still a year or two to go before we can actually get back to normal. Um, and, and I just think that's really critical. We're, we're now two or three months into this event. The reality is set in for people. People, you, people understand now exactly what it is that they're facing, but probably there's still a little bit of a of um, maybe an unrealistic understanding of how long this is going to take. Um, and, and that's also for the insurance companies too. They, they've been uh, smashed with a number of these events and thousands and thousands of claims. What might normally take a week is probably going to take a month at each step of the claim right now. Um, now that doesn't, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, that's just the reality. And knowing that reality, uh, you, you can protect yourself and, and ensure that you're you're um, taking the right steps to keep your family safe and, and emotionally safe in that time too. Yeah, that's very good advice, David. I think, um, I mean, I know something as as kind of targeted as the gap storms, which had such a small number of claims by comparison, it took us 13 months from the point of the storms to us getting the settlement from the ombudsman because we had to go through our insurer, their underwriter, and then the ombudsman um, in that process. And, uh, and yeah, for us though, we still had a house that was reasonably livable and we could continue to do the work that we were doing on it. So um, it's a very different scenario for people. But I think what's what's actually, what I'm hearing is different on the ground this time compared to say something like the 2009 fires. 2009 fires, there was a real urgency to rebuild. There was a big, strong push. And so lots of people have actually ended up in homes that they don't necessarily like or feel uh, at home in because they were in such a rush to kind of create them. This time there seems to be a lot more understanding of the psychological trauma and the need to give people kind of space and room and time to make the best decisions for themselves and support around that. So fingers crossed that that um, actually helps give people some container around this um, more effectively. Yeah. 
I think even though this is probably counterintuitive, uh, it's, it's largely because of the scale of this event. I think it took the whole nation by – it stunned us all in the sense of suddenly we've gone from a, a bit of a bad bushfire season to an unprecedented catastrophe that, that didn't necessarily reflect that in number of homes destroyed, um, but certainly in, in regions and areas that were affected. And so I think uh, the fact that there's already a Royal Commission announced, not into insurance, but into bushfires – the insurance industry has just been fairly badly bruised by the last Royal Commission, and rightfully so. I think it probably should have gone further personally, but it is what it is. Uh, and, and what I'm seeing from insurance companies with this event is actually a much more proactive and, and a much more uh, human-centred approach so far. Uh, I, I actually don't expect, as an advocate, I don't expect to get huge numbers of claims from the bushfires like we would do from a hailstorm or a cyclone, because when a property is written off, there's only really a few areas of dispute that can arise from that. The biggest one is around some insured and rebuild, of course, uh, and, and those disputes are probably still three to six months off. Um, now, we also do what's called claim preparation services, where if you've got a business policy or various types of policy, you might be covered to have a claims professional step in and manage the claim for you from day one. And I think we'll, we'll end up with more of that type of work from this event than we will necessarily disputes. Um, and it's it's encouraging to see the industry responding differently to this event than they have to something like the Y River fires, uh, as they're now known. Um, and I hope that continues. I guess where it's going to really where, – where the truth will really be established and as to how far the insurance industry are willing to go will be when they realise how much – uh, over and above normal rebuild costs, many of these homes are going to incur because of compliance. And so some policies, the one from one of the major companies, for example, limits compliance to 10% of your sum insured. So if you, yeah, and, and that's one where in, in one of the cases against that insurance company, I talked to the ombudsman, the, the claims manager who ran that department either didn't know about it or wasn't willing to talk about that 10% extra until such time as we raised it at the ombudsman. And then they said, well, the client never raised that before. And I said, but you're the insurer who's supposed to interpret the policy for your client. And and their whole approach was, well, if they don't ask, we don't offer. And so, but yeah, that 10%, they then, we had a case where it was an older home affected by the cyclone, really had to be knocked down and rebuilt. But they then tried to get away with having a rebuild quote of $60,000 and then only offering 10% of some insured was about $25,000, uh, offering 25000 on top of that and that's it, we walk away. Uh, at the end of the process, we got the client just on $400,000, which was some insured plus all those benefits. That's a big uh, but th these are some of the things that, Oh, it's huge, and and that's and that's not an isolated case. Uh, we we in many cases will go claim might go from twenty or thirty thousand to half a million, if say for instance in an escape of liquid claim, if it's not dealt with properly, insurance company fights for a year or two, and then we have a, a mycologist come in and say that the house is riddled with mould and has to be stripped back to frame and rebuilt, for what could have been a twenty grand claim if it was dealt with properly originally. I had one of those just last week in Adelaide. You know, it was it would have been twenty thousand originally. We, we've just resolved it with the insurance company. It's going to be five hundred and ten thousand, including one hundred and seventy thousand in alternative accommodation. Like it's just it's crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we don't see those examples in this event, and that insurance companies do it right. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, mildly encouraged at what I've seen to date, uh, but I guess time will tell.
No, that's fantastic. I think, um, and you sh- you're obviously demonstrating, there's a, a whole range of things that you just talked about in terms of things like having a microbiologist come in and, and look at mold damage and things like that, that people just wouldn't even consider or think, well, I've just got to live with that. So it's it's this thing of, you know, being empowered through being informed that's just so critical to getting the best outcomes here. Can we talk about that process if you don't suffer total loss? You've touched on things like um, hailstorms, floods, those kinds of things. How can this be different for people who are navigating those types of situations where they they still have the four walls and roof around them, but they've got a sodden house or they've, you know, um, the Brisbane floods, for example, we saw a lot of those types of things. Bottom story of the house, you know, upper floor was fine, but the bottom story is completely sodden. How can that be different in an insurance claim process? Well, what, what what is raised in those sorts of cases, and this is probably the single biggest factor that we argue day after day, um, and that is over uh, multiple cause factors. So, for example, you've got a 40-year-old home. That 40-year-old home has maintenance needs. Every home does. Uh, maybe the roof shows a bit of surface rust. Maybe the uh, you know the walls, the paint job's a little bit aged now. The carpets are sort of starting to deteriorate and wear and tear. Um, and so an insurance assessor or an insurance company representative can come in and they can look at a home like that and they can prejudge it. Uh, many, many examples after Cyclone Debbie where, uh, yes, you had old homes, say in Proserpine, for example, you had an old home, you look at the home, you think, oh, gee, this is a crappy old home, you know, needs, needs to be done right up. But the day before the cyclone, the roof didn't leak. Sure, it might be covered in surface rust and it would probably be approaching the end of its life. But the 265 kilometre an hour winds that came through the regional, 280 in Hamilton Island, are going to cause damage to, to that property. And so the question really is, what what is the proximate cause here? Is the house now leaking because the roof's just old and rusty? Uh, and, and if you've got a roof that's got a big rust hole in the middle of it and water, rainwater's coming in, well, you could say the proximate cause of that water entry is the hole in the roof, sure. But when you didn't have any evidence of long-term and ongoing water entry, and suddenly after the cyclone, it started to leak. I don't care how old the roof is. The policy advertises new for old. So even if it's a 200-year-old roof, if the insurance company has insured it and if the insured can confirm that it was not leaking, it was serviceable before the event, then it's got to be replaced with a new roof. And and these are the issues that we – so we, uh, we, we argue against – the major exclusion points of a policy, they'll exclude anything that's caused by wear and tear, deterioration, any pre-existing issue, any building defect, all these different things that are exclusions. And so uh, back to the example of the awning. Now, they might say, like, oh, that awning, it, it's um, the roof isn't the right pitch. And so, therefore, because it's non-compliant, we're not going to cover any damage that occurs as a result of that. Now, if the awning was was non-compliant based on pitch, but it was structurally sound and the 200k an hour winds blew it away, it's irrelevant that it was non-compliant. That wasn't the cause of the loss. And so sometimes this will get to semantics. Yes, there might be a compliance issue, but is that the direct and proximate cause of the resultant damage? And um, and again, this is where many people, I guess they struggle because they don't understand those concepts in a policy. And so when an insurance company just makes a proclamation, they just think, oh, okay, I suppose that must be right. Or if they go and fight it, they fight it and say, that's not fair, it should be covered. Well, okay, we know that, but that's not going to win it for you at the ombudsman. Um, we've got to show from the policy why it's covered. And so sometimes, um, and again, it's counterintuitive, but sometimes an event like the bushfires from an insurance point of view is much easier to navigate than uh, an event like a hailstorm. Uh, in Barara, there was a hailstorm in December 2018, north of Sydney. 
and uh, hundreds and hundreds of roofs were damaged. Like these were hailstones up to 10 centimetres in diameter. Uh, insurance companies were trying to just say, well, it's only the roof tiles that are actually broken right through and leaking that are going to be replaced. So they want to replace 37 tiles or 150 tiles. And, and, and we would run two arguments. One was that they haven't inspected the other tiles to see if there's any structural damage or any uh, hairline cracking. But also all of the damages, that, all of the tiles that had uh, the, the uh, impact marks, is ugly white sort of splotch marks, I guess, or, or um, there's different terminology that people use for them. But that is technically damage because the tile is different. It's been impacted by something and there's a mark. The same that if you have a scratch on your car, that's considered damage and they'll replace that panel or they'll repair the panel. And so we, we've been arguing for months over many of these roofs where the insurance companies just want to do a number of tiles, but we're saying the whole roof should be replaced. Uh, and we're winning those at AFCA right now. Uh, so far, all the ones that have been decided have gone in our favour on that because the issue becomes cosmetic damage. And unless the policy excludes cosmetic damage, then they've got to cover it. Um, but again, that's that's a 13-month battle over a hailstorm. And in the meantime, in many of these homes, that roof's been leaking for the last 13 months because the insurance company hasn't done any repairs. And so now you've got 20 or 30 or 50 grand worth of mould all through the ceilings and the insulation. And, do you know what I mean? It just... it. it um, it's snowballs, and it snowballs because the insurance company tried to save five grand on the roof initially, and now they're up for fifty grand worth of mould. Yeah, it's um, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? I'm, I mean, this is obviously what you see every day. As an outsider, you just think, oh gosh, why isn't somebody sitting down and going, ah, oh, this just doesn't add up, and perhaps we need to rethink this this scenario, you know, and perhaps we've got the system wrong. So, it's uh, yeah, it, it feels like it just needs great big sweeping change throughout it. So did you find that helpful? Look, frankly, understanding this stuff before you have to make a claim is is really, really useful. And if you're actually navigating through a claim process at the moment and you're unhappy with how it's going, then be sure to head to the resources. I've got info there on how to get in touch with David and solve my claim to see if they can help you. Remember to head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild. Uh, we're sharing all the information in our Rebuild and Build Better series on that link. And you can bookmark it because we'll keep updating it so that it grows as an online hub for anyone rebuilding after bushfires or wanting to build better and more resilient homes. Now, in the next episode, David's going to be back for part three, and he's going to help us understand some specifics about your insurance policy so that you know what you're entitled to and what to do about getting independent information so that you can check that what you're off being offered is fair. We're also going to discuss the steps that you take straight after you're dealing with damage and loss so you can know how you can fulfill your responsibility to notify your insurer, plus also get your ducks in a row as well so that you're really set up for the best outcome possible. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.